All right, so real quick, um, my name is Sarah Mancho, and if you don't mind, can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself? Sure, my name uh, is Michelle Hall. Um, I am born and raised in Maryland. I'm originally from Annapolis. I okay. currently work as a public, sorry? Oh no, I was just, I was just like, okay, so this is a Maryland local, okay. Go ahead. Yep, Maryland local, born and raised. Um, and yeah, I currently uh, work at the Public Defender's Office. Um, I represent uh, juveniles in juvenile court. Um, I've been doing that for about the past two and a half years. Okay. So what's that like? Because I know I myself, I can't be a lawyer. I don't know, the pressure is just too much for me. <laughs> You know, um, I really love being a lawyer um, and I love being a public defender. I think being able to stand with someone and advocate for them um, in really what are some of the most difficult times um, is something I think it's a real privilege. The clients that I've gotten to work with in my current job um, when I was in law school and I was doing eviction defense, um, I think being able to stand up and stand for people um, and be a, a mouthpiece for them at a time and in a system that is often confusing um, and, you know, really set up for disenfranchised people to fail and being able to be really stand as a sword for those people is something that I love and I is such a privilege. That is powerful. I myself, I mean, there's times where I, I want to speak, but it just doesn't come out, right? So for somebody to really stand up and say what they have to say, despite the people that surround them, that's powerful, truly. What inspired you to become a public defender? I feel like we kind of discussed this. So why did you choose mm -hmm. to work in the local county instead of elsewhere? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I came and I know we touched on this briefly, but I mm -hmm. uh, went to when I was in college, when I was a sophomore in college specifically, um, was when Trayvon Martin was killed. Um, oh. And that really fundamentally shaped how I thought about what my what position I wanted to take in the world um, and to think about also the systems that allowed that to occur. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really a time when I was coming into my own political consciousness um, really robustly. And it had me think about who do I want to stand with and who do I want to stand for? Um, and, you know, every day I'm representing uh, clients who are profiled and stopped um, in the same ways that Trayvon Martin was um, obviously in that case with, by a vigilante who was not a police officer, but, mm -hmm. you know, I'm constantly working with young people, especially um, who are just trying to live their lives. And because they're black living in the world um, are being um, accosted, stopped, and unfortunately sometimes really hurt and killed um, in those processes of what people call quote unquote enforcing the law. Um, mm -hmm. And so you know, that is what really pushed me to think about what, you know, because I knew I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time, but that made me push me to think about the type of lawyer that I wanted to be. Um, in terms of working in Prince George's County, um, my husband is from Prince George's County. He actually is a public defender in the county as well. Um, we knew we wanted to come back here. We um, were together in law school. We knew we wanted to come back to the area. Um, and for me, you know, I always knew that I wanted to 
I, I went to Washington St. Louis for college and I went to Harvard for law school, but I oh, knew wow. that I wanted to come yeah. back to um, Maryland um, because this is the, this is the place that is home. And I wanted to make home um, a really great place for everyone to live. I also think Prince George's County is particularly um you know, this is my husband's vision of the county as well. <laughs> We're in a in a majority black county. Um, oh, yes, I agree. Of, yeah, and has black leadership. And so we should be able to push back against these issues of systemic racism and classism that plague um, the entire, really the structures of our entire world. And, and, you know, I think wanting to be a part of shaping that and pushing back against injustices um, that are happening in a majority black county is part of the reason that we um, wanted to be here as well. Um, so yeah, I couldn't imagine um, living and, and working anywhere else. And I think the work being back home um, has been great. Um, and I'm glad that we're lucky that we were able to have that happen for both of us. Okay, sounds like you guys are a power couple. And I think that's really interesting as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> to imagine both of you guys are lawyers do you guys ever conflict by any chance do we ever what conflict constantly all the time our arguments are very um you know they're very legal uh and <laughs> we we definitely fight like lawyers for sure we fight about the law we fight about like super technical issues um and like our different interpretations of the law um, and, but, you know, it's fun because I think we're in so many ways, we share the same worldview, but we have different perspectives on what like the application of the law looks like. Um, and so, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I think we make each other better lawyers, better attorneys and better advocates by pushing each other to think about how we're thinking through different issues. So it's fun. Sure. For sure. I'm still back on that, but I mean, because I've, oh, I've never, it's weird, but it, you typically, but I mean, it still happens though. You have doctors and doctors and lawyers and lawyers. And I, I can imagine you guys conflicting on certain issues, but at the end of the day, I guess there comes a time where you separate work from home, which is also important as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it's all in, you know, it's all in, um, I think the thing that we always hold close to heart is that it's all like for the clients and wanting the best outcome for the clients. And so you know, if I'm ever, if we're ever disagreeing with each other on like the legal approach or the legal argument or whatever, it's all because, you know, we want, you know, the best outcome possible for our clients. And that, that's the thing that we're fighting about. And I think that's a worthwhile thing to argue about. Um, but yeah, we definitely put it away at the end of the day. Yeah, I respect that. Definitely. And I think it's also amazing that you've gone to, you have credentials from St. Louis and um, Harvard as well. Um, and for some reason you decided to come back here just because you wanted to make an impact in your community because you could have easily just decided to stay in um, Massachusetts if that's where Boston, um, um, Harvard is. Now I'm confused. Yeah, no, you're right. You got it. <laughs> okay. But you decided to come back here and I think that's really important. Now we'll be going um, into the topic of um, SROs or school mm -hmm. resource officers mm -hmm. and can you say you've seen a negative impact of this in the cases that you might have defended in the past? Yeah, you know, I can't, and I can't speak to any um, particular of course. case, um, you know, for my clients, but mm -hmm. I will say that in my work, and particularly, I work with juveniles, and so I work with kids mm. who are charged in juvenile court, kids who are charged as adults, 
Um, and, you know, I've had cases that involve an arrest by a school police officer. I've had, and I've, and the impacts there are like abundantly clear about how a police officer being in school directly led to the arrest of my client for something like a fight, for something that mm. is bullying, which is all of a sudden charged as a robbery, taking someone's, pushing someone and taking their lunch money is, is a robbery. And, uh, you know, for me, one of the things that I was really surprised by when I started this job is a lot of the stuff that I was like, the cases that I was seeing, I was like, I don't know, this is regular, this is regular school stuff. You know, I graduated mm. high school in 2010, so I'm not that far removed from mm-hmm. like what it is to be a high schooler. Um, and even though I went to a Catholic high school, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was seeing, I'm like, this is regular, this is regular stuff. This is regular kid behavior. And why are these types of cases being charged? And they're being charged because, police officers are in the school. And, you know, the research is just abundantly clear. And I think anecdotally, I see every day in my work, what the research shows that when you have police officers in schools, that directly leads to arrests and criminalization and prosecution of things that are typical adolescent behavior. And Mm. so things that kids in memoriam have done in schools um, are all of a sudden things that end you up in court. Um, you know, which is crazy because I know you have a, a question later talking about um, the school to prison pipeline. But, oh, yes. you know, I think the thing that people don't really appreciate is that once you go to juvenile court, all all bets are off. And it's not just about this fight that happened in school. All of a sudden, everything that is that is happening in your life um, is really laid bare for the court and the court can be involved in that. And you know, being involved, court involved is a really blunt tool. And by that, I mean, there's only like so many things that the court can do. Um, And whenever you're involved in juvenile court, there's always a risk that you're going to be detained, that you're going to be locked up, that you're going to be sent to a juvenile jail um, for something that started as a school fight. And maybe if there were other resources that were attempted um, and, and done in school, it wouldn't have gone that far. And so, you know, so I say that to say it's abundantly clear to me how so many times the presence of police in schools and not just, you know, school resource officers, but also the entire like school security apparatus leads to my clients being in the courtroom. But then I also think even for clients who I have who do not have a school based case, you know, it's clear how having school police in their schools in their school and in their life has a negative impact. And by that, I mean, you know, there's still an antagonization that comes from being in a setting where there are police every single day. And if you're already, you've already had negative experiences with the the police in your community because you were arrested for something else. And that is, you know, how you ended up in court. Um, You know, having police in your school does not, does not help that. And I think oftentimes the clients that I have, um, you know, even if they weren't, they are not coming to me because of a school-based offense, they still have that type of negative relationship with school police because they've been, you know, branded as such as this type of kid who has these types of issues. Um, And that leads to, I think, the type of of targeting, sometimes I think bullying by school police officers. I think they're not the only, you know, I think the only, kids are not the only bullies in schools. And I think, um, you know, all, all of that, really plays into the negative impacts of having police in schools and really breaking 
the relationship that so many kids have with school. Um, I know I'm kind of talking a long, a long <laughs> time, but I'll you're just, good. It's important. Yeah, but I'll say that you know, for me, school was such a a safe haven and a place where I exactly. could exactly. And that's where I was going to hit. Exactly. Yeah. Now they're just kind of bringing it into the school. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like kids are not feeling safe anymore because there's this, it's kind of like they're bringing discrimination into the schools. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but um, you already experience discrimination. Maybe when you, in your community, maybe when you go to the store, you may Mm -hmm. have student police officers who are targeting you. And just imagine the one place that you know you're supposed to go to and learn and feel safe. You don't feel safe anymore because of these um, SROs that are being put in schools. So I definitely do agree for sure. And I think not only that, but I think like as a, as a teenager, you make mistakes and you mess up up constantly and you're learning from that and you're learning, you're learning from that constantly. Right. But Mm -hmm you making that mistake in a school that has police directly leads to you being arrested. And I think that that, like, that is a fundamental breakdown in what it means to be a growing and changing adolescent. Um, And then you layer on top of that, what you just spoke about, right? The discrimination Mm -hmm. in communities of color and low-income communities and the ways that they are hyper-policed and then bringing that into this space that you're supposed to feel safe to learn and grow. I mean, it's, sure. it's obviously a mismatch. Yes, definitely. And to think that, um, I mean, I've never been in fights before, but it's just, like you said, simple things that kids are doing in schools. It's all about learning, living and learning. And you can't do that anymore because it's like the one thing you do, you mess up and that's it for you. Mm-hmm. So I would just hate to think now maybe kids are even scared to come to these supposed safe havens anymore just because of for fear of coming into conflict with the police or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what that must feel like. Yeah. And so I'm sure, you know, they must be trying to implement this into um, PG County. What are your thoughts on that? As far as implementing SROs into the school? Um, I believe it's January 14th. They're going to pass voting on um, the school board will be passing a voting for SROs to be um, allowed to parade in schools, basically. Well, so I think that so I mean, right, school armed school police are in schools mm-hmm. right now and they've been in they've yes. been in since the 90s. I think that the vote on later this month is going to be with respect to the recommendations by the um, prison task, uh, sorry, the police reform task force um, that was convened in June in the county um, after the, I mean, really in response to a lot of the police violence and police brutality that we've been seeing, I think the killing of Mr. Green, um, who was handcuffed in a police car, Um, Mm -hmm. And he was shot and killed um, last January. Um, And so all of, and then the ongoing lawsuit um, of uh, discrimination in the, in the PG police department all led to the convening of that task force. Right. And that task force Mm -hmm. came out with recommendations um, about the relationship with, um, with having armed police officers in our, in our schools you know, I don't know which way, how that will go. There's been some changes in the, after the election, there's been some changes in some of the personnel on the school board. Um, but, you know, my hope is that we, 
despite what the recommendations came out with, because the recommendations didn't really come out strongly for removing um, school armed police officers from schools. But I do mm -hmm. hope that the school board does stand up. And I know that there are several school board members that made this vote um, in September um, that we should be removing armed police officers from schools. And I do hope that that is again brought to the table um, and armed police are removed from schools because ultimately, you know, if we are willing to have armed, armed police in schools, that means that we are willing to have police wield weapons against children. Exactly. And I, I stop like that because I think that we need to sit with what the gravity is um, mm -hmm. of saying that we believe that a police officer needs to be in school in order to be able to use a gun against a child. Um, and if you look at the data of the vast majority of the conduct that kids are arrested for, it is for fights, it is for disruption, it is for disorderly conduct. Those are not things, and I would hope that we can all agree that those are not things that a child should be, um, that a weapon should be, a gun should be placed in their face for those types of, that type of conduct, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the, the, the major pushback that has come has come from two you know, two places. First of all, saying, well, you know, we have, you know, we've seen a rise in school shootings um, and police need to be able to respond. You know, the Maryland Safe to Learn Act has a provision for adequate law enforcement coverage saying that um, either a school police officer, an armed police officer needs to be stationed at a school or there needs to be a plan with the local police department um, to have police be able to respond. Um, in the event of that type of emergency. Now, the okay. vast majority of schools in our county do not have a police officer stationed at our school. We have 170 plus schools and only at 30 do we have, which are mainly the high schools and some of the middle schools, do we mm -hmm. have armed police officers stationed at uh, those schools. What that means is that the most vulnerable people, i.e. the elementary school students, are the ones that do not have an armed police officer stationed there. So, you know, by that logic, it is not true that we have armed police officers in our schools just because of a school shooter, because if that was the case, we would have them at these at the most vulnerable of places. Right. Okay. So so that argument doesn't really hold water. And also there has never there has not been a school shooting that has been stopped by having a a police officer there. And in true. fact, um, you know, in Florida, the yep, um, I was thinking exactly the same right? situation for real. Exactly. Um, and even the shooting that happened in St. Mary's County, um, the school police officer did respond to the school within three minutes, but that um, student took his own life um, mm. and was not stopped by the school police officer. So you really have to question this, this narrative that we have built up that um, they are there to protect from the school shooter is does not bear out in the history of school shootings and does not even bear out with how we have school police officers stationed now, okay? So then mm -hmm. the second argument that you hear is that, well, we, we need someone there um, because some of these students are just so out of control. And I think that the real thing that you, that I would push back on on that is which students are we talking about? Because mm. what we're really talking about is we're talking about black and brown students in low-income areas and you thinking that those are the kids that need to be policed period. And I do not believe um, that that is true. I do not think that that is, 
you know, the vision that we should be espousing in our, in our county that poor black and brown kids need to be inherently policed more. Um, I, I just don't think that that is true. And I, again, I don't think that there's anything that bears out um, that police, that having police in schools is, uh, in those communities is so essential. Um, and I think, in fact, the data shows the opposite, that it is leading to the criminalization um, the overcriminalization of those students. Um, so, you know, my hope is that, and I know that I trust um, so many of the school board members to re-raise and re-litigate these um, issues, but I hope that people have sat and thought over the past several months um, and are ready to say, we do not need to have these armed um, agents of the state stationed at schools because ultimately, and I think um, Crystal Oriata, who is one of the was on the um, police reform task force and is also an organizer here in the county, has said it best. The places that you have um, police officers stationed at the door and, and someone with guns um, roaming your halls is what you see in jails and juvenile detention centers. Mm. Um, and that's not what a school is supposed to be. So Definitely. You know, that is my hope. Um, and we'll see what happens with the school board. With that being said, do you think that um, students will be uh, encouraged to act up more if police officers are in the schools? Because I know their whole ideology is that they don't, um, if, I guess if police officers or SROs are there, students are less likely to get themselves involved in criminal, not necessarily criminal activity, but act up in schools, like maybe fights, pick up fights with students and stuff like that. So what would you say in this case, do you think students are more likely to act up more or their argument holds that students will see the police officers and think twice before um, getting um, acting up at school? You know, what I'll say is that I think PGCPS, well, not I think, uh, the PGCPS is one of the most policed school systems in the state, right? We are bringing in armed police from outside agencies then we have school, um, uh, what are they called? Investigative counselors who have arrest powers, but they don't carry a weapon, but they are still functioning as police. And then we have school security on top of that. Mm. So, you know, you have to ask if there's still, to people who think conduct is, like student conduct is still concerning. If you have, we have three layers of police type people present. Um, and there's still concerning behavior, then isn't it true that, um, that having police there is not solving the, the problem? And I think, um, I mean, it also goes back to the fact that, you know, the conversations that we always have about how drugs are in every community, and yet um, the communities that are over-policed for, like, for drugs are black and brown communities, right? But if you go to white communities, if you go to Harvard and go to the dorms and do a sweep there, you're finding the same exact amount of, of drugs. And so, I mean, I raise that to say, like the types of things that kids are being arrested for in school are the types of things that kids are doing in schools across the country, whether there are police there or not. And the thing that we need to appreciate is that one, some of this conduct, the majority of this conduct is stuff that kids do and kids have done for time in memoriam and does not rise to the level of needing police. Two, we need to have other interventions and other supports in place for students um, that would hopefully curb the remaining conduct because we are meeting the needs of students, whether that is like the real needs that they have 
at home and in the community because they're they're low income um, and need additional supports, whether it's mental health uh, concerns and and social wellness and well-being concerns. Those are the types of supports that we need to invest in. You know, police are inherently reactive. Um, and having police in schools only has someone there to arrest a kid. It's not doing anything preventative. It's not doing anything prophylactic. Um, it's only, you know, coming in after the fact. And so I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that that like fully answers your question. I mean, I hope that it does, but it I mean, does. in general, I just like, I just rebuke this entire idea of like mm-hmm. the police are, are a cause and effect of anyone's behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that police are there to react after something has happened. Which makes sense, of course, because um, like you said, kids will be kids. It's basically a learning process. So for you to punish this one kid now for um, learning, I mean, because I agree with you saying that police will necessarily just kind of come at the end and see how the situation looks and just make the judgment based off of them, but they don't have no mm-hmm. idea what might've occurred before. So that's true. <laughs> and with that being, like I had mentioned, kids will be kids. You said the same thing probably happens in college, except nobody puts any attention to it. So you're right. It's not necessarily um, whether they will act up or not with a police officer is there or if an SRO is there, but they're just being themselves. Is that what right. you were trying to insinuate? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And I think that, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I was getting at. (laughs) (laughs) But what do you think about, I know this might be out of topic, but what do you think about the implementation of um, ISS, which is like in-school suspension? Do you think that just leaving it at that is okay rather than adding police officers or SROs into schools? You know, I... There is in-school suspension now, and I just have no idea the, like, rates at which it's being used and used Mm. effectively. Mm -hmm. I do think that, like, restorative justice and restorative practices, I would like to see those implemented much more. And I would like to see the police, um, school police and school security just having less ability to arrest for school-based behavior. And I think that's something that will have to happen at the legislative level and also at the administrative procedure level for PGCPS. Um, mm-hmm. Because really the, the crux of it, is, like there's so much stuff that happens every day, just like in the world um, mm-hmm. that could, could constitute a crime. And yeah. so, right. So this is like kind of wonky and like really technical, but a second degree assault is technically like any unconsented touching. So like, if you like bumped into someone in the store, but like you bumped into them really hard, like that could be a second degree assault, right? But we don't necessarily arrest for all of all of those tiny assaults. Part of that is because we don't like have eyes and we don't have police on all of those tiny assaults. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so much of this is that like we have police in schools and observing all of these like tiny interactions that happen every that happen every day between kids um, and then just deciding to criminalize some of that, which is which is kind of crazy. I mean, because so, there's so much that is happening in the world constantly that could be constituted as and could be called 
crime um, and yet someone isn't there to arrest for it. And so really what I want to see is like just having police and security and everything take a step back from all these things that all of a sudden we're calling crime, which are really just like interactions between kids on a daily basis. Got it. Makes sense. In an article you published on popsugar.com, you talked about the origin of law enforcement or slave patrols and how that influences modern racial discrimination. Do you think that the opposers of the anti-SROs or defunding the police movement are intentionally trying to uphold discrimination or is there any other issues or reasons behind it? So the reason why I really love this question is, first of all, it's not a question that I've gotten explicitly a ton. Um, And so I, you know, since I wrote that article, so I appreciate that. Um, But I also think it's really important, particularly in a place like PG, where, um, as I said earlier, right, this is a majority Black county. Um, This is like a lot of the leadership is Black. Um, And so I think the gut reaction is, well, we are not upholding discrimination because we're we're Black and we would not want that to happen to our our Black and Brown children, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is that we are all existing in in a white supremacist country. And by that, I mean a country that is founded like inherently on racial superiority. And Mm. that is the bedrock principle that our, that our nation was founded on and that so much of our institutions are embedded in. Um, And like structurally, everything is built on top of that and nothing has been done to dismantle that. And also not only white supremacy, but also class superiority, right? And so um, I think that we have to take a step back and think about like who this current system was designed for and why it was designed the way that it was. I think so much of the way that we think and talk about um, having police in schools does not take that into account and does not take into account how and why police exist, period. Um, which is right being birthed out of slave patrols and how and why we have police in our schools. Um, The Advancement Project has a really great um, toolkit on school police and on the history of school police and talking about how really we only started getting police in schools um, when integration started happening because of white parents feeling uncomfortable Mm. um, with having black and brown children in their schools. And that is really where you start to see the criminalization of just like regular student behavior is um, with integration. And so I think we we need to have like a really honest conversation about the history um, and about why we have police in our schools and about why we feel comfortable with police being in schools, in the schools that they're in. Because if you look, I mean, if you look in the state, right, there are more police in the schools that are blacker and poorer and oh, yeah, that, and that's sure. like the truth. Right. And I, you know, when I, Definitely. like I said, I went to a Catholic school, there were not police in our, in my school and not because the behavior that kids are actually being arrested for was not happening in school. It was because that school and that community made a choice to prioritize not, not having that. And I think that, so, you know, this is a roundabout way of saying, do I think anyone is intentionally trying to uphold discrimination? I don't know what anyone's intent is. What I can say is mm-hmm. that the impact is we are upholding an inherently um, 
a system that is built on that type of white supremacy and on policing black and brown people and having them put kept in their place and ha and keeping those same um, structures of inequality in place. And I think that until we really wrestle with that, until we really wrestle with, particularly here in PG, how we as black people are mm -hmm. upholding that, I think that I think that that is the real, that is the boogeyman that is in the back of the conversation. And even boogeyman is a loaded racial term, but um, that is what is like looming behind all of this is that we're saying that these particular black and brown kids, we need to, we need to keep them in their place. And I think mm. that, and where that comes from is comes from that same fear um, that we have when we talk like, that same fear that was the bedrock and that animated so much of slavery, integration, Jim Crow, like all of those things. Um, and it's really easy to prop up the school shooter as the straw man and as this being the true thing, but that's not the case. Um, and I think, and so I think that even if people are intentionally or not, we are upholding those same structures of Blindly. discrimination by not having those conversations and by not interrogating the true, um, you know, basis that this came from. I mean, listen, PG, I, and I think that so much of the, the myth of PG is this is this majority black County, but guess what? Most of this land is, uh, was plantation land, slave land. Mm. And we, and that's what Maryland was. And that's what yeah. like, so much of this county is built on and we have to be honest about about that and about those roots and about the ways that that is playing out into the power structures that exist today mm. so in a sense you're kind of suggesting that they might they're not intentionally doing it but they could be blindly doing so just because of how um this country was raised or brought up exactly and i and the origins of school policing in general um, I mean, I think everything, you know, the other thing that's like really interesting in having these conversations with people is, um, and you, you brought this up in the beginning, right? But mm -hmm. like the racism of the police doesn't stop at the door of the school building, right? Everyone mm -hmm. is bringing, when you come into school, you're bringing all of those same all things of that with in, you. For sure. um, and so to imagine, and I've said this in many different forums, the police that that are responsible for the same type of brutality that we are protesting in the streets are the same that are in our schools exactly exactly sure. and they are trained the police that are in our schools were trained with those same, same way in the same way and you cannot say that we that the 40 hours or whatever of um training that people get when they become a school police officer is enough to vitiate those foundations, because that's the foundation of American policing. And if you're comfortable with that in around your children, around other people's children and around children in general, I think that's something that we need to really interrogate as well. But I know that I'm not, I am not willing. And I, I don't want that for any children because I see the consequences of it every day in my, in my work. And, and just by living in this world as a, as a black person. Definitely. I know you can't go too much into them, but I, I can't even imagine what you must see on a daily basis when it comes to cases like these. For sure. I mean, it's even, you know, it was interesting a couple of months ago and it was the same day that I um, 
did like a small legislative testimony, but mm-hmm. I was driving and I was stopped in a clearly, and I was stopped for quote unquote, rolling a stop sign um, by oh a police officer. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at the ticket, the intersection that he said that I knew, I knew I didn't do that. And then when I got the ticket, the intersection that they said that I rolled the stop sign, there isn't a stop sign at that intersection. It's a, it's a light that I, and there, the light was green when I drove through it. And so you're clearly just trying to do a stop to just see if you can stop me and, and find something because I'm a black person driving my car. Um, mm. And Right, like these are like the things that people minor things, minor things that turn into major, that turn into major things. Um, when people are like, "I'm tired of being policed in my community yeah. in this way," because um, imagine if not- you reacted, it could exactly. have gone far more worse for sure. But you were calm, you understood the situation, and you were you were able to leave. In that very moment, some were not even fortunate to leave the scene. Their life might have just ended right then and there. Yeah. For sure. So with that being said, um, you're basically saying that the county just going forward needs to stand up for um, Black people coming from which is a Black county so they do understand the struggles of a Black person because it would be different if it was a white county. We were trying to stress to them the importance of why we don't want this in our schools. But because they're coming from that background, they should already kind of have that understanding that putting these SROs in schools is immediately triggering um, the school to prison pipeline, like you mentioned earlier. And definitely, we just have to understand that this is just um, the implementation of what we've seen in the past years. Like you said, um, when they started putting um, Black kids in white schools, oh, suddenly there needed to be a, um, a release of police officers in school to protect the white children from black kids. And that's just the same thing that seems to be going on and on and on, except it's modernized now because it's a black school, but there's no white kids in it. But for some reason we need SROs in the school. So it's rather um, unfortunate that things from years past are still kind of being reflected in schools. And with that being said, I think that PG County just needs to stand up for what is right and break that um, prison to school to prison pipeline by not implementing this. um, Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, no, that totally makes sense. And I think, um, you know, that's what I, that's what I hope. And, you know, I mean, like Dr. King said, right, the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of people pushing, um, you know, pushing for that to happen. So that's why I'm glad that groups like Stand Up exist and are doing this work. Um, And I think having young people um, at the forefront and saying, um, these are the experiences that we are having and this is why we do not need this in our schools is is really key and paramount. Um, And I hope that people listen um, to the experiences of young people, both those that have had experiences with police in schools but also those who are just like, I just think that like my peers shouldn't be going through this, even if I haven't had a negative experience. Um, or, you know what, I have had a positive experience with a particular school police officer, but I recognize that it is part of this broader, bigger structure that is bigger, you know, than any one individual school police officer. And I, I'm mm-hmm. glad that you guys are taking the time to do this and do the other work that you're doing, um, you know, for this cause.
would you stress that um any is there anything else that we can parents students or citizens can do to be a part of this movement or you think we're already kind of reaching that i mean i think we're we're reaching it i think though that one thing that i've been reflecting on a lot um is that like movements take a lot of time and take Mm. a lot of sustained energy um, and like, it's really easy. Like I know when like, the bill was first or not the bill, but you know, the, the proposal was first introduced in June, there was like a burst of energy. And then in September, there was a burst of energy. Um, but like, it takes a lot of sustained work and sustained push and sustained constantly contacting your legislators, your school board members, like having, you know, op-eds running multiple times, like even when it seems like no one is caring about, about these issues, Um, And so, and that's something that I've had to push myself on as well. Um, But I just think keeping in mind that, you know, it takes a lot of work and it takes a really long time, right? Like the bus, Rosa Parks did not just all of a sudden get inspired to like not move. Like that was a long sustained project. Um, She was organizing for a very long time. um, And that, that was how we got to that moment. And so much of history is told um, in these, in like particular moments that happen, but there's a lot of work to get to those moments. And so I really would encourage people to both keep that in mind and also, you know, check in with themselves about what they can do to keep the work moving forward beyond a particular like burst of energy in a particular moment. And being, cause being ready for those times is what will get change to come. Okay. I agree. It definitely doesn't take a lot of time. I like how you highlighted that um, people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. I mean, in history, a lot in the history books, we just see suddenly, oh, change came. But we don't realize how much time accumulated before that change did come about. So I like how you just kind of reminded us that stuff like this does take time. You don't just expect to receive results in a blink of an eye so with that being said that is all the questions that i have for you if there's anything you would like to add just to finish off you have the floor no i mean i think we've covered everything i really appreciate your you know thoughtful questions the fact that you're um working on this at all um and we'll just keep pushing until we get it done definitely for sure and we'll try and keep you posted as well i'm sure you'll be keep you but you'll be in the loop as well um with this upcoming date so we'll see what happens after then then yeah thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it by the way thank you happy new year happy new year to you too um i'm looking forward to hearing the finished product um for sure yeah thank you guys for all the work that you're doing thank you we appreciate it